The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome to another episode of Dugout Study Hall, a remedial course in baseball stats and proud member of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. I'm your host, expert layman Matt Goodwin, and I'm joined, as always, by your fake baseball economist, Alexander Chase. Today we'll have some fun with numbers that don't matter, take a look at the current standings with SRS and Pythagorean wins, discuss some surprising players, and try to figure out what we know and don't know about the 2021 Major League Baseball season so far. All that and more, but first, Alexander, how you doing? You know, no uh, complaints just yet. Uh, give me time. <laughs> the night is still young. <laughs> of course. Uh, it was a, it was a, not a bad day in my neck of the woods. It's a Teacher Appreciation Week, and our PTA mm. uh, usually mm-hmm. takes pretty good care of us. And uh, so today we had a nice assortment of, of Panera lunch boxes to choose from. I, I don't know if this is something that they've always done with their catering. I haven't ever seen mm-hmm. it before or if it's just a COVID thing, but it was awesome. I always find, um, you know, Whenever I was a student, compared to like, uh, you know, other sort of things, uh, the teacher appreciation week stuff was always kind of funny in some ways yeah. because I'd be like, like, do they really want like a baked potato lunch that badly? Um, <laughs> well, I don't know about baked potato lunch. I, I I always kind of figure the kids are like teacher appreciation, woof, whatever, like <laughs> more like vacation appreciation. Um, but no, nah, it's, it's a nice week. It's a nice, uh, opportunity to, to, you know, I don't know, to, to get a little, little break, uh, and a, a little free lunch. So, um, mm, oh yeah. uh, that was, uh, that was how I, st- well, I didn't start my day that way, obviously, but, uh, that was a, a nice thing going on. So, um, what's up in DC? Anything? Um, well, um, I'm sure when our listeners hear this, I will be, uh, removed from this but uh tomorrow is going to be my uh first washington nationals game of the year nice um, very nice. also and we'll get to this in a moment um the bowie bay Sox, mm-hmm. uh start their season tonight and i am really excited for that because uh adley rutschman is going to be playing in bowie to start the year as is deal hall who uh if you're not familiar with him from the Orioles standpoint he's uh throwing about 100 miles an hour and uh <laughs> Yeah, in his first uh, start of the year, he had like nine strikeouts through four and a third. That's uh, that's so, a good number. Uh, that is a very good number. Yeah. yeah. So um, it almost feels like throwing a hundred is the prerequisite to making it to the bigs these days. So he's got a chance. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really excited to see his first start with Adley behind the plate. I'm like almost certainly going to that game, no matter what day of the week it is. It's gonna go <laughs> just there. Um, <laughs> So we'll, we'll see. I, I don't really know how like minor league rest works. Are they every six? Are they every five? Mm, I, that's I think true. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So like today's a Tuesday. I suppose in theory he could start on Sunday and then be pitching um, like next Thursday when they're finally back at home. I don't know. I'm, yeah. I'm going to figure it yeah, out. You're going to have to get on to top to of that. <laughs> yeah. Um, either way though, like, you know, Bowie's like, you know, about 30, 35 minutes from where I live. Um, and like everyone should know where they're nearest minor league team is and everyone should like be prepared to go to those games because yeah. one they're a little cheaper and two it's way more fun to uh just kind of i don't know i wouldn't say screw around in a minor league 
stadium than it is in an MLB stadium. <laughs> that's definitely what I mean. It's a totally different feel. It's it's definitely more family oriented. I mean, I don't know mm-hmm. what it's going to look like coming out of COVID. It's pretty exciting that it's back for sure. And we will get into this a little bit more uh, at the end of the episode. Um, uh, but it, it definitely is a totally different feel. Uh, like you mm-hmm. said, uh, more accessible, cheaper, but fun. I mean, I don't know. There's, I, I think I, 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 if I'm hearing you correctly, I don't think you mean like um, messing with players. <laughs> but oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Going in and just it's just a, a, a less. I don't know. It, it does feel less formal. It's it's awesome going to a major league baseball game, and I'm very jealous of you going to uh, to the Nationals game tomorrow. Um, but there is something about the minor leagues that's just different and awesome, and uh, especially coming out of a year without it, uh, you should definitely be supporting your local, your local minor league teams. Um, yeah, I do mean like more casual, like yeah, that's a good word. A I handful of uh, Round Rock Express games, Round Rocks, you know, the suburb north of Austin. They're uh, currently, I believe, big question mark here, back to being a Rangers affiliate, but they'd kind of bounced around a bit mm. between the two, like Astros and the Rangers, past couple years. Uh, I feel like more than anything else, I've caught a lot of um, Oklahoma City Dodgers games. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like every time I, I went there when I was living in Austin, that's where they were playing. And But like as a stadium, like one, um, they have a really cool like kids right field play area Mm -hmm. where there's like a pool and a bunch of stuff and they have a great craft beer bar and left field like that's the sort of stuff that you build when you want people to show up regardless of who's on the field yeah right Um, right yeah build an experience that's not just baseball yeah that's cool um i i mean i i wrote a a piece about this when i first joined pitcher list um well not right away but it was one of the first few about my experience in Pawtucket with the Pawtucket red sox and yeah, very personal piece, and I talked a lot about my experience being bullied and all that, and, and the Paw Sox being there, and, and they're not going to be there this year. They've moved on to Worcester, but um, it's still, it, it's it, like you said, casual, fun, engaging, accessible, and especially for kids, just to be able to go to a bunch of games and see people playing, it's it's really cool. You can't really replicate that. Again, going to Fenway, going to Yankee Stadium, those are great places to go, and they're a lot of fun, especially as an adult fan. Um, but there's, I think there's maybe a little bit of magic too in those minor league stadiums that that goes mm-hmm. away at the at the major league level. Um, so yeah, definitely be be on that this year for sure. Um, all right, let's uh, let's get into our bell ringer here, and I think we're probably going to wind up spending more time on this than we have on uh, any bell ringer in the past. But I've queued up a little bit of a game here for you. Um, and, uh, all of the answers are at the bottom of our rundown sheet. So that's why I begged and pleaded with you not to look on page two. Um, but I think at this point in the season, uh, we're going to be kind of looking at like, what can, what can we really rely on? Like what wonky things are happening? We're gonna try and have a lot of fun with this episode and and be a little bit more casual and whimsical maybe with this, uh, in the spirit of the minor league stadium. Um, and so uh, I have uh, five different things prepared here, and I'm calling it uh, "fun with numbers that don't mean anything." Uh, but I want to see uh, I want to see where you land on these things, and then we can maybe even talk a little bit about is there an, an ounce of something that does mean mean something here, or why this might be happening. Um, but really, the purpose is just to have fun with some strange stats that uh, I pulled from Fangraphs leaderboards earlier today so the first one i want to bring up is a pitcher this is the pitcher with the highest infield fly ball percentage in baseball just as a precursor to all these are all qualifiers that's how everything was sorted uh highest infield fly ball percentage generated so uh you know against um, and if it helps, that number is 22%. I don't know if that's going to make much of a difference for you, but it, uh, so far there is a pitcher with a 22% infield fly ball rate. Who is the pitcher? Okay, so I'm going to like walk you through my logic here, and then you're going to laugh at me. Um, <laughs> Do I have so, to wait till the end to laugh? or No. It, oh, I can jump uh, in anytime. Well, okay. Yeah, that's that's the rule always. Um <laughs> So I assume this means it has to be someone who like throws a lot of like fastballs up in the zone and maybe even like a little bit inside. It's like, how are you going to get people to pop up? That's how you do it. Right. That's um, a good place to start. Yeah. Um, 
I also feel like it might help if there's more pop-up territory, but I really have no idea what the pop-up territory is in Detroit. We don't have the factors uh, of all of that built in. We don't. Um, where's the the categories and no, the stat cast no, on that? No. No, I'm, I'm assuming it's Matthew Boyd somehow. I, I'm sure I'm wrong. Uh, you are wrong, but Matthew Boyd does show up um, later on hmm. in the episode potentially. No. Um. No, it is not Matthew Boyd. Would you like another guess? I feel like we should. You should at give least me, make give another one hint. Um, yeah, give me one. Give me a better hint. Okay, this like is somebody you should be fairly familiar with. Yeah, that'll totally help me here. Um, you know that hint will make sense once you know the answer. If it doesn't help you find the answer, <laughs> uh, is it Familia? <laughs> oh, that would that would have been very good. No, I wish I had come up with something that clever. No, this is John Means. John Means Ooh, thus oh, this far. This is gonna make me feel weird now. Uh, this year has the major league leading twenty-two percent infield fly ball rate. And again, that, remember the name of this is fun with numbers that don't mean anything. But does it mean something? Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, it's like the sort of thing where like early in the year there are a lot of numbers that like aren't gonna stick, mm-hmm. and because they aren't gonna stick, uh, if we can find that someone's been an outlier in like a. A leaderboard that they obviously aren't going to continue to be an outlier in, like from tomorrow forward. That's a really good sign that things are going to change for them. Yep. Um, I talk about this all the time with hitters. Uh, I guess also with pitchers a little bit, but especially for hitters. You know, if you're an outlier in like the line drive rate uh, leaderboards in either direction, like Giancarlo Stanton was like the top hard hit rate dude for a hot minute but he was also like <laughs> bottom 10 in line drive rate yeah which meant that he was crushing the ball while also like not hitting it well yeah um, so yeah. his results were kind of mediocre and then he stopped being like bottom 10 in line drives and um he's hit some home runs that yeah he's done really okay nasty sense. Yeah. uh so like you know people regress from the mean in things they can't really control at some point right so if you've right. threw five starts as a pitcher been inducing a lot of pop-ups and you suddenly stop inducing a lot of pop-ups your era might go up yeah Uh, yeah. so i think john means might be good i also don't have any faith in any pitcher who uh wears an orioles uni um so (laughs) said by the orioles fan said by the orioles fan um, I want to believe. Yeah, I mean, so in, in I think you're making a good point there in terms of it, it, this isn't really a number that means anything in terms of like John Means is now going to be generating a ton of infield fly balls, but it does mean something on the flip side that he's probably not sustaining a 22% infield fly ball rate for the rest of the year, and if he's if he's benefiting from that in a significant way, then yeah, you're gonna you may might might see a little regression. Um, in his other numbers uh, as well. All right, I've got another one for you. Um, this is also a pitcher. This is the pitcher with the highest BABIP against in baseball. Highest okay. BABIP against. Um, that, I assume. Did you want the number? Yeah, sure. Why not? It's 368. Okay. Um, let's see. Um, I'm going to go with someone who's... Uh, kind of been really bad for all of the teams that i own because i drafted him everywhere and i'm sad <laughs> kenta maeda no it's not but it wouldn't have surprised me at all he's killing me in a bunch of places too i i was uh telling you off air i've had some of the worst starts to fantasy baseball i've had ever um I, being connected to pitcher list and, and being able to talk to all you smart people i should be doing a lot better but i'm not uh, and Maeda is is uh, really killing me in one of my dynasty leagues. But it is not Kenta Maeda. It is another very prominent, well-known, highly regarded, sought-after um, pitcher who is not off to a fantastic start. Showing maybe okay. some signs, though, recently of coming out of it a little. Um, Kyle Hendricks? Nope, although he did pretty well today. Yeah, I was assuming that was the hint. Uh, I'll I'll throw one more at the wall, and uh, when none of them stick, you can uh, embarrass me. Um, (laughs) I'm asking you to pick the one guy against the field. I think it's uh, it's pretty safe bet that the field is going to win more. The one in 150 guesses that I'm pulling out here, (laughs) I'm still pretty happy if I'm like anywhere in the top 20 on most of these leaderboards. Uh, Give me uh, Walker Bueller. I'm sure it's not him. It's not. No, it's uh, it's Luis Castillo. 
Um, okay, that makes sense. Been uh, hit pretty hard, but uh, talk to us a little bit about what you think it means for Luis Castillo to have a 368 BABIP against at this point in the season. Um, so his first start was uh, on a very very cold day. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll note that the planet is much warmer today in most parts <laughs> of the country than uh, it was uh, at the beginning of April. Um, yeah, he, Castillo has always kind of been a little bit inconsistent. He throws, you know, like a circle change that's uh, really good, mm-hmm. usually. Um, change-ups are a little bit harder to command than some other pitch-ups. Um, you know, uh, I want to shout out, actually, another podcast I was listening to um, in a very strange way. I don't know if any of y'all listen to, like, any of the Ringer MLB show products, um, but some of their dudes last Friday were ripping people who choose to throw sliders because it's, like, you know, like the basic off-speed pitch, the breaking pitch. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just no artistry to it. Um, so, yeah, I just really want to commend Luis Castillo for, you know, going for it as like a dude who throws almost 100 miles an hour and also a nasty changeup. Beautiful, con- uh, just so aesthetically fun. Um, yeah. But yeah, sometimes you're going to not have a good day. Um, I should also say Babip is a really funny stat for someone who plays for the Reds. Um, <laughs> because, and I'm going somewhere with this. Yeah. Um, so, like, StatCast just put out its uh, new. Um, like park factors data which is really cool actually and babip as a stat is really funny because it doesn't include all of the home runs you give up because right. those aren't in play um and the great american launch pad is actually uh as park factors go so it's super home run friendly obviously but actually in terms of babip not batting average allowed like babip right it's um it, it kind of suppresses it because you know the fences are so close that like <laughs> you know <laughs> the outfielders don't have that much ground to cover um so um yeah it's kind of interesting i uh you know i imagine he's gonna be better uh i would be willing to toss um some negligible asset or two to try to go steal him from some people in some leagues but uh mm-hmm. you know we'll see how that goes a lot of people tend to see like you know like i still think he's good because right. they they know that that's their only path forward to winning their league true so trading Luis castillo if you have any reason to believe that he's still even anywhere close to his normal self right now like doesn't really make sense because you're not going to get full return and there's not a whole lot of sign that he's going to get worse yeah he's probably just been a little obviously a little bit unlucky a thing though um the reds are doing this thing where they've stopped caring about defense and Mm. i think that might be a problem too Um, yeah that's not great for pitching suarez is not a shortstop (laughs) (laughs) that's all true uh, but if you believe that he's going to be close to himself by the end of the year, then you've you've already invested in in the worst of what he's going to bring, and then you'd be trading away mm-hmm. the the best of what he's got left. All right, uh, we're gonna. We, I've got three more of these, and I think these are pretty fun. So we're gonna see it through to the end. Um, the next one is also a pitcher, and then we've got two hitters. So the third one is the pitcher with the lowest launch angle in the league, and this is interesting. Because uh, it's actually a negative, it's a negative launch angle uh, at this point in the season, and he's the only pitcher in all of baseball qualifiers with a negative launch angle. Okay, and this um, is also somebody who is near to dear, near and dear to your heart. Interesting. Okay, so um, I'm curious to know if this person is near and dear to my heart just because I bring them up all the time, yes. or because. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So that means it's Dallas Keuchel, right? It's not Dallas Keuchel. I, I love it. I'm sorry. This is like moments of Schadenfreude for me, but I love it when you get amped and excited, like you got it, and I, the odds are so stacked against you. This is such an unfair game to you, and I still I can't help cracking up when you really launch into I got this one, and then you don't have the right guy. Uh, but no, search your, your memory banks here about P- somebody in particular that you really liked to draw some comparisons to, somebody who's an up-and-comer, you really had faith in, and as opposed to maybe somebody who's now on the IL who you didn't have a lot of faith in. Um. So, let's see. Um. So this is for those of you guys at home, probably a subtweet as to like the messages that uh, Matt has sent me <laughs> about our co-managed team for the podcast league, which did win last week um, and is not very bad as some have been saying. Um, so are, are you it's making also fun of Stephen Matz here indirectly? No, I'm not making fun of Stephen Matz at all. Nope. 
Um, yeah, he keeps asking me if Stephen Matz is good, and I keep saying no. Um, I honestly don't know who's near and dear to my heart whatsoever, because uh, I don't have one of those. Because uh, <laughs> Taco Bell still hasn't opened up here in DC. Oh man, um, we didn't get any any play on our tweets either. Taco Bell social media just letting us down. Well, I we I'll I'll let you know when I get one. Okay. okay yeah. Um, Free soft taco. Okay. I don't think that I'm going to be able to do all that well. So here, but I'm going to do my best. Up and comer. I like old guys. Uh, so this is really rough. Um, I mean, if it's not Shohei Otani, I don't have a real guess. It is not. It's not Shohei Otani. It's Ian Anderson. Oh, well, that makes me feel really good, actually, because I do love Ian Anderson. I do. I know you love Ian Anderson. I said near and dear to your heart. <laughs> you said my heart versus love, different things. Actually, that's very unsurprising to me um, and a very, very uh, good sign for someone like him. Yeah. Uh, so one of the things I love about Ian Anderson is that he has a tendency to kind of miss um, away from the heart of the plate. Um, he's also got, you know, two different directional breakers uh that really really lend well to jamming people inside and inducing bad contact mm-hmm. uh, it, he's not chasing the k right yeah so uh, one of the things that like, kind of happened a couple of the starts last year is like his changeup would be bad and his curveball would be good or vice versa on any particular day mm-hmm. and um you know if you're a right-handed pitcher you gotta change up that changeup has two jobs it's to uh get whiffs from lefties and it's to get ground outs from righties because it's like breaking to your like pinky side right sure um so like um so but that that means that like if it's breaking to your pinky side think of it it's like breaking perpendicular to a righty's bat um so like it gets ground outs but it's breaking like towards the end of the bat and away from where you can actually hit if you're a lefty you're throwing off the plate um blah 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 blah, all of that (laughs) stuff long story short here ian anderson really loves to throw fastballs and everything else at the bottom of the zone and he gets a lot of whiffs because he's got some nasty pitches but when one of those isn't working which seems to happen a little more than i would like mm. um he tends to end up just like kind of inducing a lot of bad contact instead of just chasing k's right uh, so right. he's the sort of guy who i think like he doesn't like go he doesn't like go for it in like the um i'm just going to try to get the uh uh ground out sort of way that i think some people can when they kind of give up on it about yeah but like um, if one of these things isn't working, he's still like pounding the bottom of the zone in a really interesting way. So it's kind of like a, he's got such like a strange build and, um, you know, Max Freed's also kind of got like that sort of thing going on. Um, I don't love the way that Lennon builds his pitchers, but, uh, <laughs> I really do think that they're kind of like an interesting, like not exactly what you'd expect from someone who's trying to be your ace, but nonetheless, getting excellent results sort of like make up for like a pitch design sort of like build. So, yeah. you know, for those of us who like to think that like there's one way to run an ace, uh, they're uh, showing that there's some other interesting ways to get someone uh, from rookie to real, real genuine like contributor pretty quickly. So uh, well, it's, I'm it's... so excited to see him pitch some more this year. Yeah. It shows some real maturity. I think to be able to say like my stuff isn't working, so I'm going to just pitch to contact, but I'm going to make sure it's weak contact. And the only one in the league with a negative uh, average launch angle against. All right. Two hitters here. And then we'll move on to number of the week. um, And then into kind of maybe some, some players. Um, The fourth one is a hitter. And, and right now, talking about war is absolutely ridiculous, but I'm going to do it anyway because this is fun with numbers that don't mean anything. Um, this is a, There's two hitters tied at the top for most war thus far in 2021. One is Mike Trout. So what? who's the other one? I know it's one of two guys because I've seen this floating around somewhere, um, and both of them are they're not the same guy. Um, but <laughs> It would be weird of... if they were the same guy. <laughs> Only a little bit, um, but they've got some like interesting parallels. I'm gonna go ahead and guess um, Baltimore Orioles Cedric Mullins Jr. first, just for the lols. Uh, no, but we are definitely talking about him later on. So sir, really we'll circle back. So it, it's it's Byron Buxton then, right? It is Byron Buxton. Answer, yeah. yeah, yeah. You yeah. got you got yeah. that one, Byron yeah. Buxton. I didn't think I didn't think that Mullins was actually there, but I I wanted to just throw his name out as a guy who's like way higher on the war leaderboards than he should be. Um, 
It's and very he's interesting. Like 400. It's, yeah, he's <laughs> like awesome, and uh, it seems to have happened the last bunch of years with Orioles players. All of a sudden, these guys kind of come out of nowhere, and they're amazing. And and we have to figure out whether it's real or whether it's you know just flashing well, a pan. But I will set that aside uh, for the actual war leader, um, Byron Buxton. The answer is yes, he's good. Um, <laughs> yeah. I would say the only way to really doubt that is to say, no, he's better than good. Um, you know, we talked, I don't know if we talked about this extensively on the show, but I don't know. I tweeted about this and I think we kind of briefly tossed it out here. Mm-hmm. Um, Byron Buxton's like projections coming into the season were like significantly better on a per game basis than like, I compared him pretty frequently against uh, Kevin Biggio as another guy that gets drafted because he can steal bases mm-hmm. and is kind of like a threat to not have a good batting average. They have different reasons for not having good batting averages right. in the past. But I was like, you know, like go get Buxton. And if he gets hurt, pick someone else up, and your end of your totals are still going to be good. Yeah. If Byron Buxton misses 30 games this year, he might still uh, go 44 days, it seems like, <laughs> yeah, at this pace. He's been <laughs> very, very good. He's finally kind of been the guy people thought he was going to be when they were all scrambling to get him as a, as a rookie. And, and further, like, one of his problems in terms of his like productivity in that very, very stacked Minnesota lineup is he like bat like eighth. Mm. Uh, and if you haven't had a good day, you know, nobody on base, um, he'd have to steal some bases maybe because the, the like the nine man or whoever, maybe he maybe was batting nine sometimes, you know, he wouldn't be all that productive. So he'd have to like make something or nothing. Yeah. He's batting third right now. Yeah. Um, and that's not a perfect Minnesota team, but that's still a, gonna do some damage in a weak division minnesota team definitely i just want to say like there's a real fun confluence of everything going on um i also want to complain just mildly um (laughs) he's uh you know just at the the very top and then some of like some of those like hard hit rate leaderboards um now because he does this thing where he uh you know doesn't like to walk Mm. um and just likes to swing all of the time uh, that's even more interesting to me personally, but uh, it's almost unfair to like compare him to the other guys who like Mike Trout um, are going to walk a lot. Yeah, because uh, Buxton isn't doing that, so he's actually accessing his power more often than other people. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. Like... It's a fair point. Yep. If he were to throw <laughs> yeah, in some walks, it would be even even more inflated. All right, let's move yeah. on to this this last uh, person, and it's this is not a flashy name by any stretch, but I thought this was pretty fascinating. Uh, you can tell me that I'm silly for thinking this is fascinating, but this is the hitter who right now has the highest O contact percentage in baseball. Um, so this is hitting the ball outside of the strike zone. the The O contact percentage is ninety one point eight percent. Ninety one point eight percent contact on swings outside of the zone. But the O swing percentage, the number of or the percent of times that they're actually doing that is only 27.2%. So the, it does make a little bit of sense, but I, this is a huge number uh, in terms of contact on pitches outside of the strike zone. So I'm going to give you a chance. I, I think you've got a pretty good shot at this because you know the people who are, are contact hitters and he's one of them, but it's definitely okay. an unsexy name. Okay, so I want to reason through just a, a little bit of a context for people at home. Thirty mm-hmm. percent is about like O contact wise, or pardon me, O swing wise. Uh, you know, like pretty normal ish for like people you'd actually care to roster. If someone's closer to twenty, that's pretty good. If someone's mm-hmm. closer to forty, that's pretty bad. Yeah. So twenty seven's pretty good, uh, but that's still gonna be a fair number of swings outside the zone. Um, so, um. I'm gonna go with Jake Cronenworth first. Uh, it's it's a it's a great guess. It's not it's not Cronenworth, but you're definitely. I mean, obviously, you know what you're talking about. But you're uh, you're on the right track in terms of prototype. Yeah, yeah. Um, I will say a lot of people like Cronenworth who have those really high contact rates anywhere in the zone tend not to swing a lot. Yeah. So their contact numbers look better by virtue of Smaller. only swinging at the most hittable pitches. And then a lot of those guys also are pretty good at like kind of adjusting mid swing if they need a little bit. You know, they they thought they were swinging like bottom third, and they're like, all right, guess I'm actually swinging below the zone. They can get their bat there because like that's yeah. What and this doesn't at. mean it's put in play well. It just means it's contact. Yeah. yeah, 
Yeah, exactly. That well, that's, that's the other thing. Uh, it's <laughs> yeah. it's with Fletcher. Yeah, it's uh, David Fletcher. Yep. It, David Fletcher. Yep, okay. yep. There we go. Yeah, I figured it was one of those. I just wanted to say Jake Cronenworth's name on our podcast yet again, just for fun. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, that's that's something that I feel like people kind of underrate is the degree to which a lot of the guys are getting their really inflated like contact numbers by virtue of willingness to take a called strike in certain situations if the pitch doesn't look like out of hand it's at least the area of the plate they think they want to swing at so like uh now they'll get fooled by some tunneling once in a while but you know the willingness to kind of adjust mid-flight because they're not just uh yakking out of that thing wildly uh (laughs) really is part of what's going on there uh i mean david fletcher is also pretty talented at the thing that he does which is make contact and run towards first base right Um, right. so yeah that that angels lineup i would really appreciate it if we could get um shohei otani anthony rendon and mike trout all healthy all at the same time for like you know like 100 games this year that'd be really nice there's a lot of players i mean soto and and uh yelich going back on the il today Uh, it's It's just really Really weird and really brutal. sad. Yeah, very yeah. brutal. All right, we're going to move on to number of the week. Um, and this is an interesting number. It's going to require a little bit of context. Um, I'm going to throw the number out. I'll give you a little bit of context. And then this is there's no surprises here. Um, uh, I'm not going to make you play any more guessing games. <laughs> um, but this is uh, related to teams and where they're at. And I'm going to be focusing on the American League Central here. Uh, the, the number is 0.7. Obviously, on its own, that is fairly meaningless. Um, but that is the Kansas City Royals SRS, which is a simple rating system number. Uh, you can find this on Baseball Reference. And what this is, uh, kind of a number that is supposed to measure how good a team is uh, going to be um, based on what they've done. Uh, it's calculated by run differential plus strength of schedule. Um you know, you can dig pretty deeply into this, and I know that there's another metric that you want to talk about after we do this. But what's interesting here is that the Kansas City Royals have a, a negative SRS. So so their simple rating system is a negative number, not really where you want to be. All of the Central Division is a negative number, uh, except for the Chicago White Sox that are plus 0.7, but in second place. Um, and so I thought that aside from being able to talk about numbers that help us understand teams and context, um, how good a team might be in a vacuum, not necessarily what place they're in in the standings, uh, which is kind of maybe equivalent to looking at like stat cast data instead of average and RBIs. Um, that's an interesting discussion to have, but also, uh, how sustainable is this for the Royals? If, uh, you know, the White Sox, um, the White Sox seem to be a better team. They just happen to be in second place. So a lot of those, um, just a handful of different stats that kind of work that same way. But, you know, any of those like run differential based stats tend to have to them a couple like more things they get to sample every day mm-hmm. that tend to make them a little bit more stable. This is something that we talk about, I feel like, pretty often whenever we're talking about, like, when can you trust things? Basically, if you're measuring something more often, things tend to get reliable quicker. Right. That's why we care about um, things like CSW, uh, because it, you know, measures called strikes and whiffs, which happen, you know, like, once or twice every PA, basically, versus strikeouts, which happen every couple PAs. You know, and so on and so forth. Like hard hit rate tends to normalize quickly because someone will hit a ball hard, like pretty much every game. Um, some most players, it's like twenty five ish percent of their PAs. Right, um, right, right. So if you're using something like simple rating system, um, which again kind of takes in run differential, you know, like the gap between how many runs you're allowing and the runs you're scoring, there's just more data. Yeah, and because it normalizes faster it tends to tell the truth a little bit faster. Now, SRS isn't the only formula out there that does this. Um, I think we'll probably talk a little bit later about Pythagorean wins, but I'm going to put that on the back burner because it sounds scary. It's not. (laughs) It Um, does sound very scary. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, you know, basically the easy, I'm not a Neanderthal sort of way of looking at this is the Chicago White Sox um, have a plus 28 run differential coming in today, Tuesday. Um, May 4th. May that be with 
you, <laughs> I don't, I don't know what your preferences are with regard to Star Wars. No, I am fine. I, I, I rocked an R two D two hoodie today at school to uh, to celebrate. Okay. So that's right. that's good. Yeah. So yeah. So check out White Sox. Um, you know they've also played fewer than twenty eight games, so they're averaging like outscoring their opponent by a run a game so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Royals had a minus five run differential coming into the game. Um, run today. So like, you know, if you're building any sort of statistical anything based off of run differential you would not be expecting the royals to be first in that division you probably wouldn't expect the white Sox to be last in that division now right now the tigers have been a sponge for bad results they're minus 62 after only 27 games as of today um yeah so they're they're doing some fun things there um in detroit um fun in quotation marks (laughs) someone's gonna have some fun in, in the minors i think um so if you're looking at these teams, you wouldn't expect these to be the results. But the White Sox tend to have this other issue, which is that, um, you know, they'll have some really good days. But they also tend to make some really dumb decisions in close games. Mm. Um, so you can actually, and this is one of my favorite sort of things to be able to pull out. If you go to like MLB.com slash standings, they have a bunch of fun stat, like splits that they can give you. Um so you can check out how a team's doing in one-run games. So the White Sox have only played five one-run games. Uh, so they're three and two, whatever. They're they're on two and extras. The uh, Kansas City Royals are six and one in one-run games. Mm. Their bullpen hasn't been outstanding by any means. Um, I, I mean, I should say they're coming into the closer options. We're not good by any means. <laughs> yeah, right. But you know, sometimes you just got lucky, and those games still count. Um, and things happen like the Minnesota twins uh, coming into today were five games below 500 and we're oh and five in extra ending games yeah that doesn't make you bad going forward but it does mean that you lost five games <laughs> yeah right so right. i think those are the sorts of like when we talk about who's good in fantasy a lot of the things that we kind of do is just pretend the past didn't matter a whole lot if someone was unlucky because it's like all right i'm gonna go buy low and we kind of just pretend that like our teams aren't doing poorly because we can pretend that doesn't matter because we're in like eight different leagues or whatever. <laughs> no my my league the, um, teams are doing poorly i will admit that yeah. freely they are doing very poorly yeah the uh, kansas city royals are in one league um that is the american league <laughs> yeah um and um with real baseball and you know different different things that matter uh so i guess if we look at this number and we look at this situation the the um the metric says chicago white Sox going to win this division um do we expect the kansas city royals to be this good all year long um no um i do however this is like a slight deviation from your asking i do expect them to be about 500 um the Royals ownership changed. Uh, and this is like this past off season was their first full off season mm-hmm. under this new ownership direction. They've been really aggressive about not playing service time games with prospects. They've made a couple of good acquisitions. Um, they basically are trying to instill this culture of like shaving a couple of dollars off here and there uh to pocket that is not a good thing for a team to do mm. and even if they're not like trying to be super spenders they're not doing the things that make your players mad at you in like an outright on its face bad way that some other teams have been right right um you know and they've also just like acquired a couple like reasonably talented players um carlos santana looks mm-hmm. pretty good yeah. i mean michael a taylor is not great but he has had a couple okay games he's been playing less well of late they benched him and they tried to play someone else good in his place right it's those sort of decisions over and over again that just kind of like show that the team wants to win and i think that's something you kind of have to care about at this point in the year um is that if a team's trying to win um and they have a good record you would maybe expect that they're going to maybe be a little more aggressive so they made some call-ups recently and i i think that if you're a royals fan right now you have to be pretty happy with the things that the franchise is showing yeah it's pretty exciting like intangible non- like stat casty sorts of things right like nerds or like or whatever you want to call people who just get accused of not ever watching real baseball tend to miss <laughs> i also think that that's like the reason i tune in though is that i want the orioles to be like the royals in that regard um so yeah it's really exciting to see what's going on there and 
I would like them to find some ways to continue to squeeze out wins, even if they don't think they're going to win their division. Because, uh, you know, you're not going to have, like, one of the top three picks in, like, the draft. Like, I don't personally think the difference between the 10th pick and, like, the 18th pick really means all that much. Yeah. And I'm sure there's going to be someone who would yell at me for that, but. Well, like, especially in baseball, baseball. it's it's yeah. a different animal than than the the NFL draft, which just uh, just caught the attention of the sports world. Um, you know, it's a different system. You, you guys leave college and they're playing the next year for their NFL teams. A lot of them, especially That's the top same players. for basketball so too, basketball, right? right? Where the NCAA is the farm system. Baseball has a farm system, and um, it doesn't mean that the draft is meaningless for sure, but it's definitely different. Um, I also think it would be a nice thing for the Royals to follow that model and sh- and show that there is success to be had that way because I'm hoping it's almost maybe the, the antidote to the teams, the Cleveland Indians, uh, who are, are kind of going the other direction. Um, yeah. It would be nice for the Royals to beat the Indians when the Indians thought they could beat the Royals by shaving dollars and the Royals wind up beating them by investing in their players and you know, not playing games with service time and stuff. I, I think just from a philosophical and like baseball fan standpoint, that would be kind of nice to see. Um, all right. So it usually doesn't take us this long to uh, call out our central question and start talking about players for our case studies. Um, but really what this has been about is, again, a little whimsical, but kind of like we're into the season. What do we know? What do we don't? What do we don't know? What don't we know? Um, what can we count on? What are the things that matter? There's, you know, there's a, a ton of information, but um, when we look at somebody like, and, and I'm going to jump in and, and ask you to talk about this player here, and we said we we're going to come back to him, but Cedric Mullins, um, like, what do we expect from this player moving forward? How do we know? We have enough. It's not like we're a weekend, which is just ridiculous to try and draw conclusions. We're in enough that we we have some data that might be meaningful. We have some context that might be meaningful, but not so much that it's definitely clear cut. So talk to me a little bit about Cedric Mullins. So yeah, I actually want to call it some like benchmark issue stuff. So we're like a, coming up on a sixth. Obviously, everyone loves sixths for fractions, but yeah, we're about a sixth of the way through the season. Uh, Cedric Mullins has 126 plate appearances because he's batting lead off for a team that has scored some runs, actually. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we actually have a reasonable sample for like what he is in some ways. Right. Um, now there are still some things about him that haven't cleared up fully. Um, but we could definitely see like, you know, if you just go chasing, what's he been doing differently this year than past years, you can tell he's not the same guy. Um, strikeout rate looks like, you know, last year wasn't great for him, but he looks like he's a little bit lower. Mm-hmm. Uh, walk rate looks a little bit up. Uh, those are not the things that have changed a lot. They are the most stable things though. Yeah. Um, his hard hit rate is up a ton and because he's making, you know, about the same amount as contact as past years, it's pretty comparable. Now I tweeted out the other day uh, about how hard hit rate, you know, we might want to consider using a different number than 95 miles an hour because the yeah. ball's funky, but still when it's up that much, something's happening. Yep. And part of it is that Cedric Mullins is catching the ball squarer more often than he has been in past years. His sweet spot rate after being like 25% or lower for his first three years, he's at 37.4 mm. uh, through today. Sweet spot, rate is, a sweet spot rate is not terribly like, um, you know, like stable, I would say, relative to different things. Um, I don't know the exact numbers, but if I remember correctly, sweet spots rate is one of those things that like is a little bit of a luck signifier. Um, you can sustain a better one, but it's not fully in your hands. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to go look, his line drive rate's only at 22%, which is still not great, but basically he's hitting the ball like ideal combinations of like angle and stuff to basically get you some really great on base results. Um, mm-hmm. What does his bad look fall. like? Do you have that in front of you right there? I'm, I'm curious. I his, uh, yeah, I'm going to go find that because I'm curious. You know, his expected batting average from Savant is like 295 right now. Uh, and obviously, he's hitting way ahead of that. Right. Um, if I see correctly, right now, he's hitting 333, uh, which, you know, pretty good. Pretty good. Um, now, <laughs> I will say, it, when you're hitting uh, in Camden, there are some things that will help you sustain a higher batting average, uh, namely hitting the ball out of the park. Sure. Um, but he's definitely been doing some stuff beyond that. 
Yeah, he's got a um a three eighty four BABIP this year. Okay. Um, that's good. It's good. I, <laughs> yeah, I mean that's like <laughs> that's very good. I I guess what my my question would be, is it is that a sustainable number or? No. No, no, no. I, and I don't mean even sustainable. <laughs> I mean it's obviously not sustainable, but is is a higher than his career average sustainable? Like I, I, I um, you you're talking about some of the things he's doing differently, but they're more output stats, right? You're talking about walk rates and yeah, and K exactly. Rates. It's a good way of looking at him. Um, and so I, I guess my my concern would be if the BABIP is way up, and that's definitely going to regress. Is it going to regress back to what it's been, or are there substantive changes that are going to keep it a little higher than it is, so that he, you know, if his ex uh, expected batting average is two ninety five and it's actually three thirty three, you know, that's probably coming down. But I mean, yeah, two ninety five yeah, isn't you, bad, right? So yeah, you can you can think about this in two ways, right? There's the I got lucky about the kind of contact I made sort of stuff, where it's just like on average, I'm not going to be able to hit the ball as square as I've been hitting it so far, like. Right. And then there's also just like where you've landed the ball around the fielders. Mm-hmm. Um, right, right. So we should also note that like people's calculated, like expected batting averages, expected wobas, et cetera, are higher than they have been outputting league wide because of the ball being bad and not fun. Um, so like the gap between we we would expect from him results wise and what he's been achieving is actually larger than that, even uh, likely. Yeah. Likely. Yeah. Um, so, we can see like there's going to be some stuff that's probably not going to keep up. If you look at a spray chart, he's doing some interesting things. You know, he's hit the ball out almost exclusively on the right side of things. Uh, and he's a lefty, but he is hitting the ball for singles, like to all fields, uh, which is good. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, he hasn't had a ton of infield hits, so he's not been that kind of lucky. He's kind of been the sort of like lucky that I thought that everyone should try to be. Um, whenever I was like <laughs> ten, which is where you hit the ball directly over the shortstop's head. Yeah, and hit the ball where they aim. First base. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's been doing that. Now, what should we take away from this? You know, like you threw to me all these like things that you told me were nonsense, kind of earlier on. And what you kind of inadvertently did is you told me like a bunch of different statistics that like based off of different things either are signifiers of luck or just kind of fun to look at. Yeah. Um, and if you're looking at someone like Cedric Mullins, you know, like you're asking yourself, can he continue to hit the ball way harder than he previously would be? You think, yeah, he's probably hitting the ball harder because the ball's funny. Yeah, He might have made some mechanical or just added some muscle changes. But also, when you hit the ball square, and for those of you guys who uh, like uh, Connor Kirkland's work about like um, dynamic hard hit rate, if you're hitting the ball squarer, you're hitting the ball harder. Sure. So there's a chance that his hard hit rate is a product of an unsustainably high... Um, like sweet spot rate sure. essentially so like maybe you think those things but if we're trying to figure out who he is the answer is he could he could keep this up so in some ways better than he and we was could be wrong more than we think we are and not as good as he's playing now but cl- where is he is he going to land closer to who he was or who he's being now i think is the question and um I, it's interesting. It's very interesting. I always uh, find it fascinating when these guys that that are on nobody's radar just all of a sudden are awesome. Like Kyle Lewis last year. Um, yeah, yeah. You I know, mean, he was on some radars, but not as yeah, many as yeah. pre- people were pretending. He not was on, not right? not based on how good he was, right? Um, mm-hmm. So it's interesting. Another guy who uh, I'd like to talk about who was uh, on a lot of people's like must have this guy list, and then oh, this guy stinks now. Matthew Boyd. Um, talk to me a little bit about Matthew Boyd and, and what he's been able to, to kind of put together. Yeah, so Matthew Boyd has kind of been an interesting combination of like not what we expected um, and also kind of living up to old expectations. And, and what that really <laughs> means is like he's not succeeding in the way that people thought he would be succeeding whenever they picked him up and were like, refusing to trade him in like may 2019 right uh, or you know if you're the detroit tigers refusing to trade him in may 2019 <laughs> or whatever at uh, that deadline um so yeah he's actually not striking anybody out which has always been his thing that he was doing when he was good he had a 30 percent strikeout right in 2019 um he struck out 22 percent of batters in uh, 2018 and 2020 he's sitting on a 17 percent strikeout rate this year hmm. uh so you might ask yourself What's Matthew Boyd doing well? And that's a really good question. Yes, it is. 
So uh, the answer there, before I just kind of sit here in silence for a long time, is that um he's been uh well for one he's always been kind of like a fly ball guy, right? And what happens when fly balls stop being so deadly? Well, your results get better. Yeah, I, think I joked about this here actually. Um, you know, like if the changes to the ball are discouraging from pe- or people from being Joey Gallo, they are encouraging people to be what we thought Matthew Boyd used to be. Now he's obviously not striking anybody out. So he's almost like, yeah, those, uh, those flyouts are even easier than they used to be boys. Uh, <laughs> his pitch mix is also different. You know, he's throwing a change up as kind of like his like actual good pitch right now, rather mm. than they used to be a slider. He's still throwing them both, but it's like one of them is getting whiffs and one of them is getting like called strikes and weak contact. Yeah. So yeah, he's a strange dude. Yeah. Um, I should also say, if you want to like check in on some stuff, he had a 34% line drive rate last year. That doesn't keep up. He's now down to 23. His fly ball rate is significantly up from last year. And those fly balls, as we know, are less damaging. His pop-up rate's also up. Like last year, he had a really low pop-up rate, only 7.6%. And mm-hmm. he's back up to where he has been throughout his career, like around 12, 13. So like, that's part of it. Also, he, nobody's pulling the ball against him. Mm. It's just like, this is just like a statistical anomaly, probably. But he's hitting at like a 27% pull rate where he's always been in like the 40s because where like every pitcher goes uh, is because they don't really control that. So like there's just a whole lot of like some things are kind of funky here about Matthew Boyd. So what you can conclude, again, it's worsening here early May. We know there are a handful of things that actually signify talent that we can believe in at this point. People can roughly control the amount of like swings and misses or some called strikes they're getting. They control mm-hmm. their strikeouts. It takes a little while for things like hard hit per PA to kind of like sort out themselves or, or like maybe you can also think of like weak hit per PA. Yeah. Like how often someone is generating like a, a laughably not threatening ball in play. Yeah. Like is that just luck or guys being uh, cold at the begin this first three starts or. Yeah. And yeah. you'll note that it is cold in Detroit yeah. also. So I, I could imagine like you don't know what the, the directions and the error bars are in luck there are but like you know he is a sort of interesting case study of like your expectations are going to wobble depending on what you look at and i think right now we should think yeah this guy doesn't look particularly threatening his results are good and maybe they probably won't keep up but if they do he's definitely making some choices to try to lean into the kind of luck he's getting Mm. so maybe some of it's deserved but you'll notice the amount of couching and kind of like who knows yeah yeah yeah. a A lot lot of of conditional I would say, though, if I had to, like, bet of all of the different components of Matthew Boyd to stick around, um, this lower strikeout rate is the thing that if I am operating for a normal pitcher and just like, yep, these are what my numbers would tell me, I would have to bet that the strikeouts that he's not getting are not going to suddenly show up again. Mm. And that's concerning. It is um, concerning, yeah, especially if he's yeah. relying on fly balls and, um, I mean, and pop-ups. If, but yeah. He usually gets yeah. pop-ups. That's the thing. Though. It's like if you throw high in the zone and inside, you get pop-ups. That's why I guessed that it'd be like up in like the infield fly ball rate. Uh, it didn't happen to be. But Well, I mean, if you have a, a ball that's trying to limit uh, f- flight uh, at the same time you're playing the coldest games of the year, um, you know, that as the as the air gets warmer and, and thinner, um, you know, maybe some of that counteracts and he starts giving up uh, more home runs or, or you know, who knows, uh, balls yeah, to the wall. That's definitely the, part the of it. The outfielders don't track it down or are, are not able to track it down. It doesn't hang quite as long. Um, so I, I just think it's really interesting that he's up there on some of these leaderboards, but still a lot of reason to, to be cautious with Matthew Boyd. Yeah, again, we've noticed or we've noted why it might be the case that things like ex-WOBA wouldn't be telling the full picture right now. Because obviously that's like how good should you have been given your launch angle luck, right? Yeah. And we notice he's been a little bit lucky on line drives. But he also has a huge gap between his expected WOBA and his actual achieved WOBA. No, again, part of that ball. But like we're talking like a... 242 Woba versus a 310 X Woba. And that's still mm. like, even if we shave 30 or so points off the Woba, because that's right now what it looks like, he's still been lucky. Yep. And you can't just straight up do that. There are some people benefiting more from changes in the ball and some people benefiting less. But over a long you know, season, he's, I think, probably yeah. one of the people who would be benefiting most. We've talked about that. But still, 
even in spite of that, there are probably some things about his profile that aren't going to fully stick around. Now, what's going to stick around? Um, the Dale Central sucks, probably. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's I mean, true. I guess too. the Tigers are the most, uh, the biggest problem there, and he's not doesn't get to face the Tigers. But uh, <laughs> that's true. Um, yeah, maybe if he was pitching for the White Sox, things would look a little better for him. Um, all right, we are we are running a little short on time here, and we have our pass fail and our off the books, and I want to get to both of them in this episode yeah. because I think they're they're interesting and and they're they're a little uh, quick hitters, um, but they're worth talking about and mentioning. Uh, so the pass fail segment, I really want to get your take on this. I'm I'm very excited to hear what you have to say. Um, seven inning no hitters. Um, uh, should they count? I guess this isn't really pass fail. We put it in the pass fail segment, but I guess this is more like pro con. <laughs> so we're going to yeah. take a little creative license here, but should a seven inning, no hitter be a no hitter? Um, what, what are you, where are you at on this? Okay. So in my mind, there are like three boxes, right? There's like the true no hitters. Mm-hmm. There's like the team combined no hitters. And then there's like, I threw a no hitter and then I got relieved. And the guy behind me is a, is a bum. Right. <laughs> Um, I think that the seven inning no hitter belongs like roughly in the same category as like the team combined no hitter, um, which is to say that it it like counts in my mind, but it doesn't count in other people's mind. Yeah. Because I think like if you have it throw a team combined no hitter, that should be uh, designated as like team no hitters. Like I think that's an achievement and it's cool. Um, I think that those are way underrated uh, because also I think there's something really funny about like it being not just this like spooky nobody speak to him achievement but as much as it's like hey buddy it's you're up you're up go keep it going i am so excited for the uh the first ever like full-on bullpen game um like perfect game because yeah. like that's gonna happen one day just statistically it'll happen where like the rays try to guy out for two innings and like they wake up in the seventh inning and like suddenly some 22 year old who's got like uh three eyes and is like five foot two inches tall is like being handed the ball and he's like hey guy um yeah you gotta keep this going yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah if you start if you're going with a starter and they have a couple of perfect innings you're not gonna abandon your game plan for that uh for that game over that um that would be very interesting i i love fluky things like that it's very interesting i have to be honest yeah. when it comes to this topic i i'm i'm absolutely torn i am so torn because a seven inning no hitter is is like that's quite a thing that's quite a thing to accomplish um uh, but then i think about the guy who threw the nine inning no hitter who's like ah we both get no hitters for that um I don't know. I don't know what the right thing to do is. I, I almost, at the risk of making people angry with me, feel like the right call is that it's not an official no-hitter. Just because getting those last six outs is, that's hard. It's it's like probably the hardest part of it uh, because oh, you're yeah, nervous, sure. right? You're that much more tired. You're turning over the lineup one more time. Um, I, 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 it's very unpopular, at least based on what I've seen on Twitter, everybody's calling for seven inning, no hitters to count. You know, if, if major league baseball is going to say a seven inning game counts, then a seven inning, no hitter is a no hitter, but I don't see those as the same thing. I just, I don't know. I, maybe I'm on an Island with this, uh, but I'll, I'll plant my flag on that Island. I, I don't think they should go in the record books as a no hitter. But they are super cool. Um, sorry, Madison. Yeah. I, I, what you did was awesome, but I'm not really sure yeah. it's fair to what like Rodon did to say that. Um, <laughs> you know, you know what I mean. Like that. That's the same thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, there's always like the MLB record book for like notable achievements, right? Which is basically where a lot of these other things kind of land. And I think that there's something to be said for, like, you know, you throw a regular no-hitter and it's like, cool, you know how many other guys got to do that? But, like, to say that like, you showed up to work on, um, you know, seven-inning doubleheader day yeah. and you threw a no-no and then you waited for a couple hours and you watched your other teammate. By the way, Zach Gallen threw, like, one hit through, like, five or six yeah. innings also. Right. Like, um, Atlanta was looking bad yeah. not, not a good day for Atlanta. Um, so honestly, one of the most incredible. They probably all um, got their vaccines like, the day before. Quite honestly, yeah. Or better, they you know they just had too much fun partying in Phoenix in their hotels that they're not allowed to leave. I bet there's some great strip malls there. Um, <laughs> forget strip clubs, yeah. strip malls. That's, that's where, where it's at. That's where it's at. Um, but yeah, no, just truly an incredible sort of thing to say. Like, yeah, 
this guy did that or I did that in his case. Uh, whenever he's at the rodeo, you can tell his buddies there. Sure. And, and I yeah. think that's like, I think that's one of the fun things about the sport is there's just so many different wacky results that can happen is that whenever like, you know, like the random number generator spits out one of them, we've got to cherish the absurdity of it. Um, <laughs> so like, I think that like the argument of whether it's equal to isn't really the thing because we already have classifications for things that aren't equal to, but are still divert deserving of praise and are really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, that's why I think they should be on the same footing as like the team commando hitter. Um, the, um, the ghosts of, uh, Manfred's past didn't throw any hits in the last two at innings in the, in the eighth and ninth. And that was it. <laughs> there was uh there was a Red Sox game. Uh, I was young uh, where somebody threw a no hitter and lost the game. Um, oh, I, that's one of my favorite things. It's, uh, I, you yeah. know how many little league games I played in where someone did that? <laughs> well, in little league walks aren't quite as rare, but uh, it was like a seven walk, no hits, eight inning. I lost. It was, it was, um, uh, it was crazy. Talk about statistical anomaly. That's probably not going to happen all that often. Um, all right. So, uh, you're, you're fine with them on like a, this is a, a fun thing kind of, uh, kind of, uh, plane. I, I definitely think, uh, much to the chagrin of a lot of people probably that not counting them as official no hitters is the right way to go. But boy, that really stinks for somebody who goes out there and is like, Hey, I didn't, didn't get the chance to throw, those last two innings, and I think I would have made it happen. Um, eh, it's 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 fun for us, to, but I, I bet it's stinky for the uh, the players who have that rocket. You know, it's not every day you even get through seven innings with no hits. So, um, all right, off the books, let's uh, try and, and squeeze this one in here. Is is there's not maybe a ton to talk about, but let's just give some space and, and honor the fact that the minor league baseball season started tonight. This is we record these on Tuesday, so you're hearing it on Friday. Um, I'm going to read just uh, just a, a, a nice little quote from an article done by Josh, uh, sorry Josh Jackson on MLB.com, um, and it's just. I don't know. I read it, and it's not overly profound. This is not a criticism of your writing, sir. Uh, it's, But it, it did kind of send that tingle up my spine because we have it back, right? Uh, and he said, The 2021 Miners campaign kicks off Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern time as two AA Northeast games get underway. The Portland Sea Dogs host the New Hampshire Fisher Cats, and the Bowie Bay Sox visit the Altoona Curve. And how cool is it that we have minor league baseball back? We hinted at it at the top. Um, it's it's accessible. It's fun. It's whimsical. It's uh, more casual, less formal. Uh, it's just a good time. And and for let let's also celebrate the players too who who didn't have a place to play last year. Who um, a lot of them were kind of caught in these financial situations. They're always underpaid. Uh, some organizations forcing them to like pay them back for food and room and board and, and things like that. And now there's baseball back on the field and we can, we can talk about that. Not that we shouldn't give space for how uh, minor league players need to be treated better, but super exciting. And I know you were talking about your, your Bowie Bay Sox there. So, um, you know, oh, yeah. it's, I- so excited yeah it's it's just cool to have it back and have people playing and and not and and like the stars of tomorrow not just languishing at a an alternative site right whatever that really looked like they're going to be on the field and there's going to be video clips and and uh we can see some cool stuff from these guys so um where are you at with this so yeah to really capture how i feel i'll put it this way gunner henderson who is an Orioles uh, prospect who will play somewhere in the infield at some point. (laughs) It is second career professional home run tonight. Um, He is technically in low a Delmarva playing for the shorebirds. (laughs) Um, And it is really, really cool to think that, you know, a lot of these guys didn't have anything to show for a lot of the gains that they made last year. Right. Um, I've actually heard from some prospects, writers, porters whoever there were definitely some teams that really gained a whole lot from being able to hold some of their uh um most promising uh young bats and arms a little bit closer to their best coaches right yeah uh you know if you're sending someone to like rookie ball or low a there's no guarantee that the best technology or the best minds are getting to like shape what they're doing regularly right but, you know, if you're the Mariners and Logan Gilbert gets to uh, throw for you under, like, the eyes of whoever it is that actually knows what they're doing most, uh, right. that's 
pretty good for him. And a brain um, trust, too, I would imagine. I mean, yeah. he can really now, weed there, that out. There's some other problems, right? You know, like Logan Gilbert, I don't know if he should have been debuted already, <laughs> basically. Right, yeah. uh, like, that's a whole separate discussion for the Mariners to have uh, and for Mariners fans to have. But, you know, Gunnar Henderson uh, is not yet 20 years old. Um, and he uh, is not that close to debuting. Mm-hmm. I really hope that some guys who are in his camp who were like hypothetically should have been like the 2022 debut class maybe got a little bit of a boost or like the guys who were supposed to be like the late 2021 debut class you know if they got a little bit more out of that and their mechanics are a little bit better as they're adding that like muscle mass that's actually allowing them to like do things well so they're like learning how to be a good hitter before they're learning to be a guy who can smack the crap out of the ball sure that could be really cool. Yeah, um, yeah. I didn't even and, think about it from that angle that we might see them sooner and they might be better. Yeah, but like after all that though, I'm just really excited for them to be in this position where they can actually get some official statistics and say like, "Hey, I got to hit some minor league home runs." So he uh, he actually he absolutely just lasered one over the left field wall, <laughs> um, and I was really happy for him. I cannot wait um, to celebrate some more DL Hall strikeouts and uh, Bowie. <laughs> And uh, yeah, I mean, like the thing about the Orioles is that there are a bunch of guys who are playing maybe above their heads or at least playing in some ways that are exciting. Uh, they're scoring some runs. They're not consistently the most embarrassing team in the AL East or anything. Like they may not be good, but they're fun. You know, we talked about John Means. We've talked about, um, <laughs> oh my God, Cedric Mullins. How am I doing this? Cedric Mullins. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, Austin Hayes is having a good year. Um, Trey Mancini is playing, and it's just the sort of thing where like, every single team is going to have these sorts of stories going into this year. Yeah, at some point, yep. um, there are going to be some really, really exciting Pirates prospects playing throughout the minors who are going to do some really fun things. There are going to be some plenty of Tigers prospects who are going to play really well. So I'm really glad for all the people like me who just kind of like love to enjoy the entire sport while having a team that's not winning, who are also going to have a little bit more to enjoy, you know, the minors as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's a good day. Minor League Baseball is back. Um, all right. Well, that is going to bring us to the end of this kind of smorgasbord uh, episode, this cornucopia of uh, uh, some whimsical things, some informative things, some stats. I, I think we put it together pretty well. But, uh, um, you know, uh, yeah, go ahead. If, if there's a takeaway from all this, is that, like, you know, uh, we don't know everything, but we already knew that. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, I don't know if we, we want to we wanna tune in. Uh, <laughs> you know, like attendance is or not, not attendance isn't up technically, but like um like viewership is way up. This yeah, year. MLB um, TV is setting records. Yeah, I mean, not for any of their actual presentation, mind you, but because people want to yeah. watch what is actually pretty exciting sport right now. Yeah, um, definitely. And I'm glad that the players are putting something worth watching on the field in pretty much every city. It's fun. Yeah, it's definitely fun. And uh, and bringing the minor leagues back into that fold is only going to make it even that much better. Uh, so thanks for hanging again. And, uh, yeah, if you could just go ahead, Alex, and let the people know where they can find us. Well, they can find you on Twitter at TheCorkedMatt. I'm on Twitter at Chase underscore Rate. And most importantly, you can find our podcast on Twitter at Dugout Study Hall, where you can send us some questions. Please be sure to subscribe to the Pitcherless podcast feed if you haven't done that already. Leave us a good review if you can be so kind. And if you're not already, please consider becoming a PL Plus member so that you can harass us on the PL Discord. And that's it for me. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll catch you next time.